everyone. Welcome to the Thriving Minds podcast. I'm Professor Selena Bartlett, and today we're joined by Celine Hegarty Kramer. Currently a PhD student in applied mathematics in Montreal. Um, her research is about understanding the key risk factors in uh, severe immune responses to influenza. She actually has an amazing career so far for such a young woman. She has a varied career in applied mathematics and only has recently returned to academia, having worked in commercial um, industry as well. And she's going to tell us a little bit about that. But she studied um, mathematics at QUT all the way up through master's level. And we're going to talk about her project. But but the amazing thing is, and this is where we never know our influence, which is why we do these podcasts and go out and make a difference, is we met actually while I was giving a talk at my old school, All Hallows, where she was also a student. We're going to talk a little bit about that. Welcome, Celine, to the podcast. Hi, thanks for having me. All the way from Montreal. Yes. Why don't you tell the audience a little bit about who you are? Uh, yeah, so uh, I'm Celine. I was actually uh, born in Montreal to begin with, one of the reasons why I'm back here now. Um, and I moved to Australia when I was my family when I was younger, uh, when I was 10. I um, So, yeah, I'm, as you said in my intro, I'm an applied mathematician. Um, so basically since the day that you gave the talk at my high school when I was in my senior year where you talked about your research and your pathway I always wanted to I was so interested and passionate about the application of maths to biological problems um because I was always good at maths but I didn't really know where it could take me um and so after having heard that talk I decided that I wanted to study maths um and so that's what I did straight out of high school I went to QUT um and I yeah, I have tried a lot of different things in the uh, my career up until now. Um, so I got an internship at Boeing pretty early on in my studies. And so I worked as a mathematician at Boeing in aeronautics uh, for a few years. So I was researching autonomous systems. So basically uh, using stats to establish the safety case for like what is the, what are the minimum requirements for us to have safe um, unmanned vehicles? What does that mean for, you know, the broader airspace? Um, so I've done that. I did a master's in more of a biological application. So I uh, my master's was in uh, bone remodeling. So basically the process that's always ongoing in us where we, our bones regenerate, I was using maths to understand that process because it's really difficult to observe um, clinically. And so then, so that's what my master's was in. I then went uh, more into industry. So I worked at a company called Polymathian, um, which is a software, math, like a mathematical software company. Um, and so I was building lots of different simulations, uh, which was one great thing about working in industries. There was a lot of kind of smaller, short, short, fast paced projects. Uh, but I was, yeah, I was building simulations for our clients and basically simulating different business processes whatever they they were so we had projects in hospitals we had a lot of projects in different mining industries um and lots of different like modeling techniques used there uh and then more recently i've 
I decided that I really, really wanted to focus on that biological application. Um, and to do that, I needed to return to study. Uh, and so I've come back to academia, except I've moved halfway across the world, uh, to study uh, in the uh, immune immunology space now. Um, so using maths in that. Yeah, well, neuroscience and immunology really need a polymathian approach to understand the, <laughs> the data that you get, and especially genetics as well, right? Um, mm. So so you're a young woman uh, in, in mathematics. Uh, how has it been breaking the mould and how, how do you get treated? And for other women listening, tell, tell, us, tell your story um, to help and inspire other people to know that this is not rocket science, that... Um, with the right approach and tools that it's open to. Yeah. Yeah, it, it is. I've, uh, it's been really interesting in that, on, on that aspect in that I, I didn't really feel like I was breaking the mold when I went to uni um, and studied maths. Like I was looking back, you know, there were not many women in my cohort, um, but I really didn't feel out of place and I was comfortable and I, felt that in the kind of very early career as I'd like an internship and graduate level. I think where I started to feel differences was as I progressed. So um, as I wanted to get more responsibility or had more opinions that I wanted to be heard, I found that those like preconceptions about women in STEM really started to come out there. Um, and it's something that I've definitely um, kind of had to work through. I think um, having a network of other women in the industry or who are going through similar things um, in your company or in where your workplace, but also across different workplaces is really, really useful. And I think I've really come to value that more um, as time has gone on. Um, I think in my undergrad, you know, I would go to women in STEM events and I would have a really great time, but I didn't really understand like or value that time as much as I do now um which is something that, that has been interesting to learn um and I think I've really um worked on it's still an ongoing process of working on my confidence um and the way I express myself uh because it's uh the more you progress the easier it is to kind of if you if you have any doubts um about yourself then and you don't speak up it's really easy to kind of fall behind um because as you progress it's less of the quality of or you know the quality of your work always speaks for itself but you have to be able to show it to people and you have to make sure that people recognize it and, and that becomes not, more important and i think yeah. the, the key here too is being able to make sure you get the credit for the work too because in, mm. and i don't know if you can speak to this uh because we tend to uh, not have had those role models promoting us or whatever and having to promote yourself mm -hmm. is not necessarily easy. And so, therefore, it's very easy for other people to take the credit for the work. And in academic space, as you're moving through the ranks, getting that credit is so essential for your promotion. Um, mm, I teach women a sure. lot in my work, you know, promote it, mentoring women through that barrier where they want to have a family and then maintain career. One of mm. those is what you just spoke to is learning to speak up because you do lose and get behind a little bit. Um, 
And I think people, and I reckon what you shared with then with me, I'm glad to hear there's some barriers being broken at the university level. I wonder, were you taught by Ian Turner by any chance? Yes. 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 He taught I, me and my capstone unit. He's great. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I actually think he taught me. He said, he said he was my tutor. Oh, really? Yes. Wow. Um, he's an yeah. amazing, amazing man, and uh, we'll, we must give him some credit on this podcast for, oh, for, for sure. both of I us. Have, yeah. Yeah. yeah, when I, after I had the, after you did the presentation in my school, I actually um, talked to Ian Turner about the math program before I enrolled, um, and, yeah, he really, really helped me make my decision on that QT especially. Um, and yeah, through my degree, I think uh, he taught two of the courses that I did and he was really great. Um, yeah. Such a small world, <laughs> isn't it? Yeah. yeah. So, so for women listening that are afraid to take these steps that you're taking, like math, like choosing mathematics at a high school, taking an internship at Boeing, um, moving into Polymathian, now making the big bold step of moving back to Montreal to do your PhD in mathematics. Um, they're all huge milestone steps that many people are afraid to take even one of those steps mm. because of, you know, thinking they can't do it. So if yeah. you want to describe your background support, do you have support that's helping you do that or is it coming just driven internally? Like do you want to share your um, story because people would love to know What's yeah, I mean, I, it, it's a bit of it's a bit of both. Um, so I like I'm I have a really great support network. I have you know parents that have always encouraged me to go for whatever I am passionate about and have really like fostered a love of learning in me. And I think that's really really helped me um, through, especially through my studies and my early career. Um, I think. Uh, at uni, I developed a really great kind of friendship group, which I guess now is more of a network um, of other mathematicians um, who are all doing really exciting things. And I think that's pushed me to say yes to different opportunities, um, to kind of see my peers do really exciting stuff and have people that I can talk to, you know, on a social level, but also talk to about the work that they're doing um, and be excited by what they're doing. Um, I think there's also a little bit of I have jumped, I've said yes to a lot of things before I had an opportunity to overthink it. I, you know, I there, there was an opportunity which seemed like it felt like the right fit for whatever reason I've, just, I've said yes and kind of I dive straight into it. Um, and I think that's that actually has really helped. <laughs> yes. It's made for a bit of an erratic start, but um, I think, yeah, it's allowed me to try a lot of different things um, and really figure out what I'm passionate about. Well, yeah, um, I think, I think, people, I think yeah. that's such a good point right there because nothing happens without action. And so mm. you point so nicely there because how do you know what the opportunities are? because the world's changing at such exponential speed. The job types are changing. It's so different to the past. We just really can't know what's available to mm. us without what, doing what you said. And from a neuroscience brain perspective, uh, action changes the brain. It's mm. not, yeah. over, overthinking it just can create more fear, which then stops people. And so you often hear people say, I'm not sure what I want to do. 
And so they might take gap years and there's nothing wrong with that, having a break, but then it leads to more inaction in some sense. Mm. So, so I think that action step is so critical for people to overcome fear and push through things that you don't think you can do. And then you meet new people along the way that can support you. So, mm. so I'm really grateful that you've also given us some of your time to help bring young voices to the podcast and also to inspire other people. Um, to do what you're doing too, because I'm interested to know when you're sitting in that auditorium, would you be able to describe, because um, not everyone got the same chance to hear different people speak, they don't get those opportunities. So let's mm -hmm. take this opportunity to create more opportunities for other people listening out there and, and their families that are struggling. So in that, let's just take you back to that auditorium that day when you're in grade 12. And you're sitting in this auditorium. As you're walking into that auditorium, can you describe who you were? Like what in terms of we're talking about your career and because yeah. it, it's such a it's such a time, isn't it? For mm. all the buzzes around, I don't know what I'm gonna do. And you know, in your head, yeah. so much going on. Yeah, I was a very stressed uh year 12 -er. I was very sure and I I had no idea or what I wanted to do I was so I was really overwhelmed by the decision um because there were so many different things that I was interested in um but and and you know some people have really from from quite early on they might change their minds later but they had really like set ideas of what they wanted to do after school and they had a plan and I just I just didn't I was I was really lost and I, um, I, I, if I'm honest, a lot of the talk, I was really grateful for a lot of the talks that happened in that year, but a lot of them didn't ring true to me, if that makes sense. Like I, I found, found them interesting from like a passive perspective, but I couldn't see myself doing it. And that I think was actually what was before going into that talk what was the most worrying for me is that I knew I was I was good at school and I knew I could do something, but I couldn't like imagine what I would be that passionate about. I I hadn't I just hadn't thought of it. I mean, there's so many different opportunities, so many different things you can do, but I just hadn't encountered something that really like sparked my interest in that way. Um, and so. Yeah, going into that auditorium, I was, yeah, that was just kind of the background of my life for that year. I, you know, I was very academically driven. So there was a lot of stress about my marks and all that kind of stuff. And we had to do our QTAC applications soon. And I had gone to some open days and looked through the booklet and just circled kind of random things in a way. Like I really didn't know what I wanted. Well, I think you're speaking um, to the heart yeah. of the majority of people your age at that time. And like yeah, exactly. Um, and, yeah, and then it was it when I heard you speak and heard about your pathway, it was just like it was eye-opening in a way it was so it sounded like such an exciting thing to do and on one hand I was like well I can never do that you know it just seemed so wild and so so different um but it was I just wanted to hear more you know that it, I was so like intrigued and immersed by what you were describing um and about the different research projects that you've done and the skills that you were using to do those research projects and the findings and the like 
the way that your findings can actually help people in their day-to-day lives um it really really like excited me and seemed like something i something in that field was would be what i would be passionate about you make such a great point there selene how can anyone ever know exactly what sort of career is going to be coming down the pike it really means that we have to just take a chance really and do the best we can at the time and keep saying yes as you said so do you want to tell the audience a little bit about what you've been doing or how you came across the career that you've developed no exactly and that's I so I worked at a, as a student ambassador for QT for while I was at um, uni and there's something that I definitely feel still now is that it's so impossible to know where you're going to end up and you can only really take one step at a time, you know, in that uh, taking an action step, you kind of take the, what seems like the best now, you know, and then see what happens from that. And that's in, in the end, what I ended up making my decision based off was, look, there are, there are options down this math path. I can see that now. Um, And maths is the, like, the course or the unit that I enjoy the most at school and that's that's going to be enough that's that's the information I have and that's that's how you know that's going to be enough to make that decision and then I'll see what happens from there and as the famous Steve Jobs says we can only join the dots looking backwards and I just know from my own career too that I would never have known uh, where I would be today when I was in high school And after being at a conference in San Diego, it's really clear that we're really not even going to know what sort of jobs are available in the next five, ten years. Like they were talking about new careers such as prompt engineers, for example. So all we can do is just take those small action steps every day. And well done for you doing that because it would have been scary at the time. So now you're in Montreal doing your PhD. Do you want to tell us a little bit about that? When did you arrive? uh a month ago now um so it's still very new like I said I was born here but I left when I was 10 so there's there's a lot of stuff that I don't know about the city it is quite in 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 one way quite just like a, a new city to be in um and I started my PhD two weeks after I got or a week and a half after I got here I just kind of went straight for it um and so I'm working uh under uh, Dr. Morgan Craig. Uh, she works at the University of Montreal and she has a lab um, at the uh, one of the hospitals here. Um, so she has her own computational biology research lab. So there's a bit less than a, I think there's about a dozen of us who are, you know, mathematicians mostly by training, but using um, those methods applied to biological problems. So we're focusing on immunology and also um, on oncology. So I'm more on the immunology side. Um, but yeah, it's it's brand new for me so that I don't have as a deep of uh, understanding of this specific topic. Um, but I'm uh, basically uh, using maths to yeah, predict why some people get really, really sick from the flu um, and other people don't 
because it's not it's not a very simple problem. Um, and so this lab that I'm working at, they had a really successful paper a few years ago um, doing similar mo- modeling for COVID. So they um, were able to identify the um, some delays in a specific cell like um, reaction, which is what made a massive difference in your um, sort of disease progression outcome. And so they had those results from the mathematical models before they had the same results in the clinical um, setting. So they were kind of able to predict those factors and then the clinics were able to support that that, um, finding. But um, the idea is that if we can identify those specific mechanisms which cause that disparity, we can then target those specific mechanisms um, for different therapies to... um, make sure that less people have less severe have severe reaction. And you're doing your PhD in French. That's incredible. I am definitely not as comfortable in French, but um, so my mum is Belgian and so I speak French with her. Uh, but there's a difference between speaking French at the dinner table with my mum compared to having like an academic discussion. Um, you know, there's, there's, quite a, there's quite a bit of a learning curve there. Uh, thankfully, I mean, the kind of the language of academia is mostly in English. So a lot of, you know, all of the papers are in English, but our lab meetings are in French. And so there's, you still have to kind of balance both um, because it's an opportunity for me to develop my language uh, a bit more and learn that that aspect of the language that I haven't um, been exposed to yet. So that's... So Celine, how do you navigate and overcome challenges and obstacles that come your way? Are there any specific strategies or mindset shifts that have helped you to get to where you are? So I think one aspect is, you know, being prepared to the extent that you can. Um, So I, um, you know, would practice or not practice, but like, you know, have a bit of a little script for if I'm being asked to describe myself, you know, going into my first couple of meetings, I knew that a few different things that I was going to have to talk about. So I was really prepared with those. Um, But I think I remember that overall people are kind um, and that I, you know, I like cold called my supervisor, you know, I just emailed her out of the blue because I found her website and it looked really interesting. And I said, I'm interested. And she said, yes. And so I, like, I do belong there as much as sometimes I, it's difficult and people will be understanding, you know, I, the, the, the I just have to try. Um, and then if I make little mistakes, that's like, that's okay. People are not like people don't exist to judge our mistakes you know they're there to like help and help you progress um and so I think yeah I think one of my friends actually said this was when I was struggling a little bit when I was working in industry and struggling on being heard but he said something that he was told when he started his career was in every meeting try to ask one question you know try to say one thing um to practice kind of saying something and practice getting your voice heard or even even practice a bit more active listening so you can engage with the the content that's being presented and i that's a really i think that's a really useful piece of advice in that the more you the, pra- the more you practice even something 
as like simple as asking a question, the easier and kind of less scary it becomes both in learning the new vocabulary, but also just like getting over that like stress and that, that fear. Um, so that's something that I've been really trying to apply in this new context is, you know, there's, you're always better asking, asking some a question than keeping it, like keeping it to yourself. Um, and I'm just trying to do that even with a bit of a language barrier. Um, and I mean, it's, this language barrier is not as like difficult as others can be because a lot of people do speak English. So if I revert back to English for one word, you know, especially when it's the more complex vocabulary, that's like, you know, I can get by and people are fine to follow along with that. So as a young woman in academia, what are some things that you'd like to see be done differently to help us navigate and overcome gender related challenges? Like more structured mentoring. Because I've 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 now kind of been on both ends in that I, you know, was a mentor for younger students. Um uh, through the end of my studies um, and I have been mentored and sometimes those relationships are really great and really useful but it's really difficult to be a mentor you know um, and so I think having kind of programs that are a little bit more structured as much as sometimes it can feel a little bit like stiff if you have if we have a certain I don't know requirement of meeting the frequency or whatever having a bit more yeah more mentorship opportunities where there's specific kind of outcomes and specific activities um, would be useful because I it, I, I found I, it took me a while to understand what I wanted from a mentor mentoring relationship and what it could bring. Um, you know, a lot of people said, oh, it's really good to like get yourself a mentor. And, but I, I didn't really know how to go about it or what to talk about when we would have meet our, have meetings and that kind of thing. So I don't know if that's a, I don't know how to solve that. I had a really good time at uni. I was really fortunate to make a really good network quite quickly, but I know that that's something that a lot of people struggle with, um, especially if you're moving from out of town or there's a lot of different factors that can make it a really alienating experience, especially now that a lot of things are more virtual. And you know, there are opportunities there, there are clubs, there are societies, there are industry nights, there's a lot of different things, but there's all, it's, it's quite easy to, for, for a student to fall by the wayside in those, in those, like in that first semester, that first year, that's so difficult as a new student. And it's so important to have, you know, friends in your cohort. Looking ahead, what are your aspirations and goals for the future? And how do you envision making a positive impact on the world around you? The big thing is I really want to use mathematics or quantitative quantitative techniques to help um, like battle problems in health. Like that's the big overall um, idea. I think at the moment I see that I see my path being more towards research in industry, kind of um, similar to my work that I was doing at Boeing, but in a different um, in a different industry, I I would really love to be able to work on like emerging technologies that are happening like now and help those technologies or companies um, 
go through, you know, clinical trials and that kind of thing with a bit more ease. That's one big thing where maths can really help is, you know, before you get to your clinical trial, having a simulation model and going through a lot of um, validation and testing. So what do you see the role of generative AI and chat GPT being in your work and also the future of work? You know, we found it quite useful in the kind of administrative part of the job. So writing emails, or I know people have been using it a lot for like summarizing articles or getting, um, finding um, sources and that kind of thing quickly. Um, I still personally, or I don't really see it coming for the like juicy fun part of my job. Um, I think for me, the bit that's really exciting is turning a real world problem into a mathematics problem. Um, and I, I think that part is still very human. Uh, and if I, if I can get to the stage where I can give the mathematics problem to an AI and let it solve it, then I would be happy to do that. Um, but currently we're still a little ways away from that. Um, but really the, the part that really is interesting to me is that that first step, the like modelization step um, before you actually solve and get the numerical results, which that part you can see, well, I can see in a short amount of time being automated. Yeah, I think, I mean, it depends on the, uh, the problem that you're working on. So when I was at Polymathian doing more consulting projects, a big part is, um, extracting like human like learned knowledge and trying to quantify it in some kind of simple rules so you know if people who have been working in a, a specific industry for years and have so much like know-how of how how to best do things but they don't like they can't exp- they won't express it in like a simple rule they'll just be like well no this is the best way to do it i just know from experience and so there's that like the, there's a big kind of conversation piece of having lots of discussions with experts who might not have the quantitative skills but who have the knowledge and trying to tease that out of them to get the the core of it and the core like logic behind it so that's if depending on the project you know in the in at work that was the biggest kind of part of the the modelization step was trying to understand and like synthesize what they understood about the problem in a nice, concise, logical way. 15 years or something like that and developing drugs and mapping the pathways. And then one day you look at another set of research and it completely opens the window and you get that you're wrong about something and that you need to, you know, for example, we now know addiction is caused by adverse childhood experiences that are over generations and that alcohol or drugs are simply medication for all of that stress and trauma. And then all of a sudden mm-hmm. it becomes a really easy, pro- it's not an easy problem to solve, of course, because it's um, bigger now, but all of a sudden you get why you were struggling. Why you were struggling zone. before, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. you had no yeah. understanding. I feel like the brain's just like that. Um, people are struggling with understanding why they keep doing the same things or not making change. Mm-hmm. All of a sudden you give them a new tool and a pathway opens up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I don't know, this is a bit uh, tangential, but I, at work, there were a lot of times where you'd, you'd 
be banging your head against the wall for this problem and not it was just not making sense and then it you know turned out that the like initial data that you were feeding into it to start off with would have had a mistake in it you know and you have you spend all this time trying to analyze all of these behaviors and and look into the details when really you actually just need to take a bit of a step back um and look through the whole process um that's happened so many times to me in lots of different not just at my last job but in lots of different um problems so does that make you now reanalyze the entry points but more so than you would have before yeah 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 it's one of the first steps now instead of the last one I actually think that's a really brilliant suggestion for your PhD too because the mm. data from biology is really messy and and who's mm. collecting it how it's being collected, people's bias in terms of the interpretation of all these things. It's absolutely essential in terms of the input going into your systems, um, for sure. It would save you yeah, a lot of time to all those questions. <laughs> yeah, mm-hmm. for so, sure. And, uh, yeah, I think, yeah, that'll be really interesting to, I guess, go into because I don't have that bio- biology like background, so that's something that I'm looking forward to learning about. Yeah, I think networking with people that have got a lot of experience in immunology is really beneficial mm. for people doing the computational side because I think yeah, I think on the it, I think you realize that what you're reading in papers and uh, just the nature of how it's all done is really murky. Mm-hmm. For sure. Yeah. So thank you so much for reaching out to me. We wish you all the best. We look forward to hearing more in a, in a few years' time, um, what you end up doing, what you end up discovering, and and all of these new pathways that you're going to open for sure. And uh, we wish you all the best, and I hope that other people listening have been inspired by your determination and uh, your help to envision a better world for people around you. Oh, thank you very much. Thanks for having me. And thank you for coming to our school all those years ago. I'm sure you're going to be doing it even more so than me. (laughs) After listening to this, you'll be on that stage next. (laughs) Thanks.